But we are in Psalm 63 this morning. Psalm 63, so if you'd open your Bible to, to that psalm, it's page 608. If you're using a Bible provided, 608. Um, there's a Bible underneath the chair in the row in front of you. And make sure you've opened it up. The, the song service guided us right into the, the, the thought behind Psalm 63, and it's the idea of seeking the Lord. Every human being is commanded to seek the Lord. It's not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Seek the Lord. In First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, some of you have been reading through them in your Bible reading challenge, that is a theme of the life of the kings. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. It's, it's said more in those two books than any, anywhere else in the scripture. Seek the Lord. They did not seek the Lord. This king sought the Lord. This king did not seek the Lord. Notice where those two things lead. Opposite directions. The good kings, they sought the Lord. The evil kings, the wicked kings, did not seek the Lord. And the Bible makes it clear that to not seek the Lord is sin. That's why it's a command. If you do not seek the Lord, you are sinning. And so the idea behind this psalm is the idea of longing for God, seeking the Lord, desiring God, going after him. And this is the theme of this psalm. And let's pray before we dig into the scripture this morning. Father, we do not naturally seek you. We do not naturally long for you. Our hearts are not naturally inclined to desire you or to love you or to serve you, to hunger or thirst after you. And so we need your spirit to do that work in us, in our hearts, this very moment. Lord, I've been praying, and we've been praying already that this would be true, and Lord, we hope that it is already happening, but that even if it's not, that it would happen now, that hearts would be turned to you. You would do this illuminating work in our hearts, in our minds, to understand and receive and to submit ourselves to the scripture this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 63, please follow along as I read. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate, you, meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's divine, gracious revelation given to us this morning. May we listen to it. Our theme is, again, longing for God, seeking God, and what that looks like. This is another psalm of David, but notice differently, this is not a congregational song. It doesn't mean you can't sing it in the congregation, but this is more a song meant for private worship, for personal worship. 
The context is given, so we have the specific context, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Most likely, this is when he was running from Absalom at the end of his reign. And so there are many times in the life of David that he was on the run, many times that he was in the wilderness. But this time, it is said specifically that he is already king. Verse 11, the king shall rejoice in God. The king is referring to David, the writer of the psalm. And so he is already king, and he's running in the wilderness, which is what he did in first, uh, 2 Samuel 15 to 18, when his son Absalom tried to take the throne from him. And so we believe this is this situation and the circumstance for the writing of this song. So that's the context. Let's jump in and see what it has to teach us today. The first thing we see in verses one through four is David's cry. David's cry. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts, my flesh faints. So in David's cry, he makes it clear right from the beginning that he sincerely desires God. Earnestly, I seek you. Sincerely, I seek you. Absolutely, determinatively, I am seeking you. He is seeking God in a specific way. Notice his earnest desire is said poetically in this way. He is thirsty for God. He hungers for God like a dying man in the desert. This is a wilderness song. This is a wilderness song written while in the wilderness. And so David, while he's running from Absalom and while he's in the wilderness, uses that occasion to write a song and he uses the circumstances in his life to pen this song and he uses the metaphors of his surroundings picturing his desire for God. So he's in the wilderness, probably hungry, probably thirsty, Sometimes he would be fed better than others. Sometimes he'd be thirstier than others. Sometimes they had more water, but as they're on the run, it's a difficult time. And so he gets hungry and he gets thirsty and it's a dry, weary land and it's difficult. And so he uses those physical circumstances in his life as metaphors for his spiritual life. So as thirsty or as hungry as he was physically, he recognizes that his spiritual need is greater than his physical need. His spiritual need is greater than his physical need. Now, in that moment, as he comes to that recognition and as he writes that song and begins to write out his desires, he then remembers God. So he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's fainting for God, he desires God. He desires God like a, a thirsty man desires water while in the desert. That's how much he desires God. Is, are you getting the picture? Are you, are you feeling a little thirsty when I talk about it? Like, man, I could, could use a drink. The more pastor talks about being thirsty, I feel a little thirsty myself. <laughs> and so the more you think about it, the worse it gets. And so the idea here is that, that, that thirst in the desert drives him. He does that. Now, as he's thirsting, as he's hungering for God, he then remembers God, verse, three, uh, verse two. He has looked Past tense, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. He remembers God's power, God's glory, God's steadfast love. He remembers special times of worship when he was in God's sanctuary in times past. He remembers past worship services. He remembers the times he was gathered with the saints 
in the sanctuary of God. And he remembers how God revealed his power and his glory. He remembers how God revealed his steadfast love. Has God done that for you in times past? This morning, has he reminded you of his steadfast love, of his power, of his glory, of his mercy, of his grace? It's in times of corporate worship, it's in times when we gathered in the sanctuary of God that we receive these blessings from God. Now, in this occasion, where is he? He's in the wilderness. Where's the sanctuary? Well, it's actually not in Jerusalem. I think it's in Hebron at this time. I forget where it was. The tabernacle was, was not in Jerusalem at the time. And so notice, there is a place where he goes to meet with God. There's a sanctuary of God, but he's not there and he can't get there. So in times when he is separate from that place, what does he do? He remembers God. He allows these memories not to discourage him over what he is missing, over what he cannot do, but instead to encourage him because of what he has seen and learned in the past. Amen. Notice how, 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 how we typically act, and David's just like us, he's, he's a typical guy. He, how we typically act is, I can't get to church. I can't be there. I can't be there with God's people. I'm on the run for my life, and I miss the sanctuary. I miss the, the, the worship on the Sabbath. I miss those things, and I can't get there. And the temptation at those times is for us to be discouraged. For us to be uh, in despair because we can't have what we used to have, what we usually have, what we would like to have. But David doesn't let that discourage him. He uses the memories of the past and all the wonderful worship services of times before to now encourage him in the present. He remembers worshiping God. He remembers what God showed him. He remembers God's power and love and God's glory and God's steadfast love that was demonstrated in those past services. And he's reflecting back on the past to encourage him in the present. Do you use the encouragement of the past, the good times of the past, as discouragements for what you don't have now? Or are they encouragements for what you don't have now? Encouragements to overcome what you don't have at this present time. He remembers God. Does your memory work as a tool for discouragement or a tool for encouragement? It's important. So in this time where he's in the wilderness, far from the sanctuary, he remembers God. And when he remembers God, he praises God. Because as he thinks back on these days, because of that, because of God's steadfast love, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In this moment, in the wilderness, reflecting back on past worship and what God has shown him, now he begins to praise in the present. He praises God in that moment. He praises God with his lips. He praises God with his hands. As long as he lives, he determines to praise God. And he does this because God's love is the best and dearest thing. God's love is better than life. We need to sit on that for a minute, don't we? God's love is better than life itself. And that tells us that the best life without the love of God is not really a life worth living. And the most difficult life with the love of God is a life worth living. It is the love of God that makes all the difference in life. Have you come to realize that? In times of great blessing and in times of great trial, have you come to learn that the love of God is better than life itself? 
that the love of God is what makes life truly life and, and, and truly a, a wonderful life? This is God's love. God's love is worth everything else. Charles Spurgeon says, to dwell with God is better than everything else. Matthew Henry writes, it is better, a thousand times better to die in God's favor than to live under God's wrath. It is better, a thousand times better to die in God's favor than to live under his wrath. We sometimes believe that life is worth everything. And so we do everything we can to cling to life, to enjoy life, to get everything we can out of life. And there's a part of that that's not wrong. It's, it's not wrong to enjoy life or to go after life or to live life to its fullest. Read Ecclesiastes. But when that life is only lived that way under the sun and not lived that way under heaven, because there's one way to go after everything in life without God in it. That's life under the sun. And that life turns out to be a life full of misery despite all your attempts to get everything you can and suck all the joy out of life. But there's a life lived under heaven with God in the picture, under God's rule and God's authority, under worship of God, a worship of God where everything that we go after in life is lived in a way that life becomes wonderful, but not in and of itself. It's under God. So that the Bible says, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet lose his own soul? What happens if you spend your whole life getting everything you want, achieving every, every goal, getting every earthly pleasure, having everything, and yet you lose your own soul? What, what kind of life is that? It's a life of misery. That's a life lived under the wrath of God, spent in eternity under the wrath of God. It's a thousand times better to not receive all of those things you go after in life, not receive all of the pleasures of life, and yet have Christ. That life is the life worth living. God's love is better than life, and God's love is what makes life so wonderful. Do you know the love of God in your own life? Whether you've attained all the things in life that you want or not, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you living life under God's favor because you've trusted in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin? So that now you're a child of God instead of an enemy of God. You've trusted in Christ alone, not only to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross, but to give you all the righteousness of his sinless life in the place of all your sin. And because of that, you receive now God's favor. You're now his child. You're now adopted into his family. You've been born again into new life. That life is the best life. And it's the best life now. <laughs> so you can have your best life now, not as Joel Osteen says, but you have your best life now because you're in Christ. And you have all the riches of Christ. You have all the blessings of Christ. His love is better than life. His love is better than a million dollars. His love is better than ten million dollars. His love is better than everything else. That's the truth of Scripture. But when you miss that and you miss Christ, then you're trying to find joy and satisfaction. You're trying to satisfy the thirst of your soul, the hunger of your soul in stuff or in people. And people will always disappoint at some point or another. They will always let you down. You will always be disappointed. If you go after it in fame and in pleasure and in satisfaction, you live long enough, you'll understand what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, that it's misery. It doesn't work. It leaves you empty. You try to satisfy your thirst with something that only makes you, in the end, thirstier. 
What is it? I'm trying to think of off the top of my head here, so that's what happens when you, you just think of things. What is it that you drink and it makes you thirstier? Salt water? Yeah, there's something like that. I forget what else. There's, there's other stuff that you drink. It's like you're, you're really thirsty. Sorry, I'm really thirsty. Uh, electrolytes does that as well. So just all, there's things that you can drink to try to quench your thirst but only make you thirstier. And that's the stuff of the world. Christ is the one who satisfies. Finding Christ, seeking God, seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find a love and a satisfaction that will satisfy. And if you have found Christ and in this moment find yourself dissatisfied, notice you've lost your focus on who is the one that satisfies. And uh, this is a great sermon to preach heading into Christmas, is it not? Of all the things we think will satisfy, of all the toys and all the gifts we're dreaming of receiving here in about a month, all those wonderful things that we think will bring all the satisfaction and joy, God's love is better than all of them combined for the rest of your life. And it's not even close. So notice David's circumstances become an opportunity for songwriting and praise and not an opening for discouragement, doubt, and despair. He's in the wilderness. This is a wilderness psalm, but it's a psalm in the wilderness written in hope, written in joy, written, that let, uh, written in a way of praise and thanksgiving. It's important to see this because all of us will spend time in the wilderness. Have you been there? Have you been in the wilderness? If you haven't been there, then you're pretty young, I would assume. And some people who are young have been there many times. If you have been in the wilderness, you recognize the beauty of this psalm because all of us will be in the desert of difficulties. All of us will thirst in those times. The question isn't if you will be in the wilderness, but when. If you're not there now, when will it come again? If you're there now, then I don't have to talk to you about it. You're right there. We will all face difficulties, wilderness difficulties. So it's not if, it's when. And the second question is what? What will you do when you're there? What will you do in the wilderness? And I was reminded of this truth uh, even this week when talking with one of our church members. So many things going wrong. So many difficulties. So many challenges. This isn't working. That isn't working. This is broken. This is difficult. This is hard. It's, and, and some of you are just, you just one after another just keeps coming like wave after wave after wave. And I hear this and I'm like, wow, I'm so happy I'm not you. I'm so happy I'm not going through those things. It's, I, feel, <laughs> I feel bad for feeling good. That I'm, How does that work? But that's the idea here. This, for those of you who are in those moments, and many of you are right now, this is your song. This is your wilderness song. You're in the wilderness. And if you're not in the wilderness now, learn this song so that when you're there, when you're there, you can sing it. Because you will be there sometime and probably sooner than you want and sooner than you think. So know, know where to go, know where to turn. Sing the wilderness song when you're in the wilderness. So that was David's cry. Verses five through eight give us David's confidence. David's confidence. He says in verse five, my soul will be satisfied. My soul will be satisfied. This is David's confidence. His sincere desire, his earnest seeking of God, his thirsting and hungering for God will be satisfied. Notice his soul will be fed like a person fed at a feast. He's going to be fed like someone sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner with fat and rich foods. I love that description. Did you eat any fatty foods and any rich foods on Thanksgiving? 
Yeah, you ate way too much fatty and rich foods, but that's a feast, is it not? You don't go to a feast and pull out the old uh, Weight Watchers shake, do you? <laughs> yeah, pass around those, those diet shakes, man. This, we're celebrating today. No, <laughs> you pile it on and you eat and you keep eating. Uh, in the church I grew up in, one, uh, one, one man said, and if you met the people from the church I grew up in, they knew how to eat. And uh, so he would say this, he'd say, you eat until you hurt and then you eat some more. And that's Thanksgiving. And that's what I did. I feasted. I ate until I hurt and then I ate some more and then I had dessert later. And then it's, that's what it's, it's, this is, this is David's confidence Remember, he's hungering and thirsting. Notice the metaphors there in his poetic form. And notice he will be feasting. There's going to be a day of feasting. He's confident that he will eat like he's at the richest table he could ever imagine with fat and rich foods. It's a beautiful picture. And in that moment, again, there'll be a time in the future where his mouth will praise with joyful lips. Now, when is that going to happen? Notice, though, when it's going to happen. Surprising, I think. In verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Wait a second. I thought he'd be satisfied this way when he was back in the sanctuary, when he was out of the wilderness, when he was done running from Absalom. I thought that's what would happen. No, this is going to happen when he considers God. He will feast again when he considers God. When is he going to do that? On his bed in the watches of the night. In the wilderness, in times of testing, temptation, and doubt, David will meditate on God. He will actively, purposefully, willfully remember God. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. What does this look like? What does this look like in real life? This is what you do when you can't sleep. When the trials and troubles and temptations and the fears and the anxieties and the worries are running through your mind and you are laying in bed wide awake at three o'clock in the morning or you are woken up and, and, and these thoughts are running and you cannot sleep, this is what you do. When the questions, worries and doubts, they come in the night watches. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you noticed how these things attack at bedtime? How they attack in the middle of the night when these worries overwhelm you, when you, in a sense, you're, you're, not, you're not actively thinking. In fact, you're trying not to think so you can sleep, but that's when these thoughts come. They come unintended. They come without you even have to worry about them or thinking about them intentionally. In those moments, what do you do? Do you choose to remember God or do you remember your doubts? Do you choose to meditate on God or to rehearse your worries? I am not telling you that when these things come to count sheep. Nor should you count all of your discouragements and count your troubles. What should you count? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And these are the blessings of God. These are the blessings that come from God. David says, I will be satisfied when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. This is not David saying, I don't believe this is David saying, I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night just to have another praise service. This is David awakened at night, the watches of the night come, and David responds with meditation and remembering God and all that he's done. A dear saint, uh, an older gentleman, 
at my, my former church, just, a, a, just a, a great man of God in the sense of a humble servant of God with great faith and confidence, said that some of the most difficult times for him were in the middle of the night. Attacked with worries, doubts, fears, in the night watches. And I believe that that's an aspect of growing old. So the older you get, the more worries and fears, and the more you're awakened at night. You can't sleep as well. You don't sleep as long at night. And these things come. What are you going to do in those moments? You need to recount all the times that God has been your help. Verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Recount all the times that God has been your help. All the times his wings have covered you. Do you sing songs of joy or songs of sorrow in the night? Notice that will lead into different places. You don't wake up with worries and concerns. Count all of your troubles and then sing songs of sorrow. That's not going to lead to a good place. When the worries and concerns and trials and troubles wake you up, what do you do? You recount your blessings. You remember what God has done for you in the past, and you sing songs of joy, and then God ministers to you. Then you will be fed like a feast in the times of trouble, in the times of the wilderness. Notice again in verses 7 and 8 why he is doing this. He will be fed when he considers God because of who God is. Because of who God is. God is his help. God has been his help. God is his protection. God is the one who holds him up. Therefore, he will sing for joy and cling to the one who is his only help, his only hope. You have been. You have covered me. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You have done this for me in the past, and I now remember that, and now it turns me into times of, of joy and celebration and satisfaction, and now I'm clinging to you even harder now because of what I remember in the past. How faithful has God been to you in the past? His steadfast love. How many times? How many answers to prayer? How many blessings? How many years? How many decades? Time and time and time and time again. And yet we still struggle. We still worry. We still, we still have doubts because more wilderness times come. What will you do in those moments? Sing this song and then live this song. There's a strange turn in this psalm in verse 9. In verse 9 we see David's enemies. So we have this song about thirsting for God and seeking God and, and finding our joy and satisfaction in, in God. But here's the contrast. In contrast to David, who is seeking God, there are those who seek to destroy David, and they will themselves be destroyed. Notice verse 1, earnestly I seek you. Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life. I am seeking you, and others are seeking me. But they're not seeking me in the same way that I'm seeking you. They're seeking to destroy me. They're coming after me. Remember, he's in the wilderness for a reason. And he doesn't forget that reason in the middle of a song. So he goes back to that and he rehearses that. And he says, I seek you, but those who seek me. I seek you and I will be satisfied, but those who seek me will be disappointed. And more than disappointed, they will be destroyed. When I seek God, I will not be disappointed. I will be satisfied. When I seek 
when I am sought by others, sought by the enemies of God, they will be disappointed and they will then be destroyed. Notice that destruction thought poetically given in three different ways. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. Here's how I read that. Those who seek to destroy my life shall take a dirt nap. You like that one? I like that. That, was, that was my favorite. I like I came up with that one. Yep, a dirt nap. That's what he's saying. They will, they will go down the depths of the earth. They, they, that's, that's him talking about their destruction, their death. They shall die by the sword. And they shall be an animal's breakfast. I didn't know what a jackal, what, how best it is. They shall be a, a coyote's breakfast. We have coyotes in Michigan, right? So this is, this is what's going to happen to the enemies of God. They will be destroyed. And then there's another but in verse 11. But, another contrast. In contrast to the outcome of his enemies, what's going to happen to the king who's in the wilderness? But in contrast to the destruction of his enemies, the king shall rejoice in God. The king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by the king shall exult because the king will be um, rescued. The king will be saved. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. The king will have the victory. David will be victorious. He will come out of the wilderness. He will regain the throne, and that's what happens. He sings this in confidence because he understands what God will do to his enemies, and he understands what God will do for him, and he rejoices in this moment. Do you trust God when people are seeking to destroy you? Do you trust God when people are lying about you? Do you trust God to rescue? Do you trust God to save? Do you trust God to give you the victory? We've been talking a lot about that in, in recent weeks. We sing. We sing and seek the Lord because we know who God is. So in conclusion, you need to seek the Lord. All of us need to seek the Lord. All of us need to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a believer in, the G in Jesus Christ, if you've never sought him before, call upon his name now. Forsake your sin. Repent. Repent and turn to Christ. And for those of you who are his children, who have called upon his name, who have forsaken your sin and repented, remember God at all times. Remember God at all times and meditate on who he is and what he has done for you. Have you done that this week, especially this week, Thanksgiving week? Have you remembered and meditated on who God is and what he's done for you? Have you counted your blessings and been thankful? Don't just do it one week out of the year or one day out of the year or every now and then. This is a daily occurrence because we must remember. We must meditate. So remember God and meditate. You know what it means to meditate, right? I'm just now thinking that maybe you don't know what it means to meditate, so I better give some instruction here. Very practical. Meditating on God does not mean uh, Eastern mysticism of uh, doing the whole thing, oh, you know, clearing the mind. No, meditating on God is not clearing the mind. It is filling the mind. It is filling the mind with Scripture and remembrance of who God is. You meditate. You think over and over again. You ruminate like the cow does on its cud, you over and over, you chew on it, you chew on it, you digest it again and again, and you focus on who God is and what he's done. You do that, and your attitude and your response to the wilderness circumstances will be vastly different. You are in the wilderness, or if not, you will be getting into the wilderness time. Know this psalm, understand this psalm, and when it comes, sing this psalm and mean this psalm. Earnestly, I seek you.
I seek you more than I seek deliverance. I seek you more than I seek rescue. I seek you because you're the one who satisfies. And even if I die physically, your love is better than life. We need more than life. We need God's love in our life. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. Lord, may we be your children who sing your songs who know your songs, who understand who you are and how you've revealed yourself to us, that we might sing songs of joy, we might meditate on who you are. And as we go our way this afternoon, may this be what we do today and tomorrow. Lord, do this work in us. We need it. We need your encouragement. We need your strength for the wilderness times that we are in. In Jesus' name, amen.